Hey, podcast listeners, the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies is sponsoring its annual biblical symposium at St. Elizabeth Orthodox Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, March 8 to 9, 2019. This year's keynote speaker is Dr. Robert Miller from the Catholic University of America. Meet Father Paul Tarazi and other scholars who will present and discuss papers on biblical exegesis and language. Join Father Mark Bulos and Dr. Richard Benton for a live recording of the Bible's Literature Podcast. Engage with others like you who are committed to biblical studies for all who have ears to hear. Register online at ephesusschool.org. You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. How are you doing today, Dr. Benton? I'm doing great. How about you, Father? I'm doing very well. Today we're going to round out Father Paul's discussion of biblical functionality. When you and I originally approached him about the topic of biblical function, we knew that it was important to get Father Paul to clarify how he uses the term and how it differs from, for example, the use of context in other schools. And so I'm glad you pushed him on that question, and he took it a different direction. He talked about syntax and the order of words. So I want the listener to pay special attention to how Father Paul distinguishes between context and syntactic functionality. It's much more of a linguistic focus as opposed to a literary focus. And he uses the phrase, he actually coins the phrase, grammatical functionality, which is a specific use of the term. It's the way that he uses it in his work. So I'm very happy to introduce Father Paul on Tarazi Tuesday's The Bible as Literature podcast. Now, let me go back to the Song of Songs. You remember how I read it, that obviously it is speaking of Solomon, who is the son of David, but who becomes the king of the new city, Jerusalem, into which enter the dark-skinned beloved one, the woman, which is the Gentiles, and so on. Now, whether I'm right or wrong is not the matter for the time being. But one has to listen to me and hear how I got to this conclusion. But anyone, I remember a student told me, but the Song of Songs is very important because God intended it as a book extolling human love between a man and a woman. Ah, Come on now. Come on. God did not bless love in Genesis 1. He blessed procreation at least in the text I'm reading. Very important to keep this in mind. So you can imagine speaking only about one entity, David, the same thing about the play on Hezekiah and Ezekiel. I mean, how could it come to the mind of someone reading this in our translations? Let's stick with English that these two people could be connected name-wise. Well, they are connected. I mean, when you hear them in Arabic, they are connected. 
because Arabic is very close to Hebrew. But the way they were rendered in different ways, with different vowels, you have an H at the beginning of Ezekiah, which disappears at the beginning of Ezekiel. You lose this. But listen to it in Hebrew, Hezqiyahu and Hezekel. Now, if you read it with your eyes consonantically, you will notice that you have the verb Hazak, to be powerful, to grab forcefully, to have the upper hand. But one, the ending is El, and that's Elohim. The other one is Yah, Yahweh. And I showed in my book that these two words do not reflect the same function and thus not the same reality. And that becomes very important because Hezekiah begins as a good guy in the books of Kings. And then at the end of Isaiah, he doesn't end that way. Ezekiel is all the way the prophet of God and So the question arises, are the authors of the Bible intending to deal with Hezekiah the way we dealt with David and with Saul and with any kings? In other words, every time they deal with kings, they are very careful never to show one of them as being one faceted to good, except again, the king of Israel, who is its shepherd, that is God. And to come back to Ezekiel, I mention this in my books, it is important to notice that the first great prophet, and I mean uh, literary prophet, Isaiah, his name ends with Yah, shortened form of Yahweh, the way El is a shortened form of Eloah. The second one, Jeremiah, is also related to Yahweh. But the third one, Ezekiel, is related to El, which, by the way, is the same situation with Daniel, but Daniel is not a prophetic book, is among the Ketubim. Is it the same? Is just the author wanted to flip? I don't think so. I showed in my book that in each case, the choice of a name, and let's forget about names, choice of words is intentional. And with this, I would like to bring two examples, which again, cannot be rendered in English. Abel and Isaac. For all of us English speaking, Abel is a nice name, Abel. Abel, I love this name, and you go to the book of names and decide. Well, in French, it becomes Abel, and so on and so forth. But in Hebrew, and there is no way that a Hebrew ear would not have understood it that way. Abel is the vanishing breath. It fills the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, that is Hebel, Hebalim, there we go. So then the story becomes much more powerful. I'm not saying that it eliminates the fact that Cain and Abel were brothers. 
but the choice of names becomes important. You cannot say one of the two brothers. No. Abel did not kill Cain. It's Cain who killed Abel. So it's not one of the two brothers. Sibling rivalry. No. Cain is from a verb that means to possess, to have, to acquire. And thus the forcefulness of the one who is a proprietor, a possessor in Arabic. It's the same root that you use to speak about your properties, what you have. The assets you have in your house is muqtanayat. And this more powerful sibling destroyed for no reason in the original text his sibling who was just a breath. That's why no one, not even a child in Sunday school, can write a story of Abel. Except in this country where it's said, uh, write me what you think of Abel. There is nothing to say about Abel. He appears and disappears killed by his more powerful brother. And the last twist is that he was a shepherd. I mean, come on, friends. This cannot be happenstance. And the other example, and let me finish with that, which is in its way even more forceful, because it uses for a name a verb, Isaac, according to which Paul told us that the believer becomes the child of God in Galatians. Isaac, the Isaac, in Hebrew, means he laughs. And I mentioned earlier that in the text, in the original, it appears the first time in the phrase, and he laughed about Abraham. When you hear it in Hebrew, it sounds, and Isaac. It's phenomenal, which means Isaac is there in the text before he is born. But that's a literary twist. And in this matter, I would like to mention an article from the website that someone sent to me. It may be one of you, I don't remember, where we have an Israeli woman who was studying the Bible, and more specifically New Testament, with a famous woman scholar in the United States. And in this blog, very interesting, Mark, you should find it and post it. She said to her teacher, you know, you're not dealing with the same Bible I'm dealing with in these terms or close enough. You don't hear it in the same way. And then she jumped to the example of Isaac by saying, Isaac for me means he laughs readily, immediately. It's not there it is he laughs and there it is the person Isaac. Recall what I said about Chloe and how a student of mine, obviously a woman, wanted to say it's nice. That was her words. But it's nicer to imagine that there was a real person, a real woman who was in the church of Corinth and whose name was Chloe. Things don't work like that. Please check my 
commentaries on Philemon and Colossians and so on, and see how I handle names, all of them, including Tychicus and so on, which in this case is not Hebrew, but Greek. But again, it has a meaning. My study of the New Testament alongside the Old Testament confirmed to me that the New Testament was written scripturally in this sense on purpose. Sometimes it uses the original Hebrew, but sometimes readily it uses the Greek, as in the case of Tychicus. Okay, that's what it is. It's very interesting. Father Mark and I have been talking about this so much, and we've been doing our best to convey our understanding of these terms. But one question of clarification I think would help, which is when you talk about functionality It sounds a lot like the way people talk about reading something in context. Actually, one should add grammatical functionality, not contextual, you know, to get away from this grammatical functionality. You see, here again, you forced me to coin a new phrase, grammatical, because the text is a series of syntaxes. I like the word syntaxes in Greek. It's not context, but coordination to order together things. Since the verb in the Semitic languages comes before the subject, when you say said God in Hebrew, it has a different function than God said. Because if you put God before said, it means it is God who said. And guess what? In Arabic grammar, if you say said God, you say verb and the doer, which means the subject. But when you parse grammatically, let me go into that. It was difficult for us to comprehend at the beginning, but we were forced to. That when you say God said, you say it's a nominal sentence. In other words, you deal with said the way you deal with big in God, big. And then you say, in the second part of the nominal sentence, we have a verb and an assumed subject, which is he. It is as though you're saying, God, he said. Now, I don't expect you to understand that for the time being. What I'm expecting you to understand that an Arab approaches the same phrase, and this has nothing to do with the context. That's why I'm glad you brought up this discussion and you brought up context. Said God and God said, it is not only emphatic, as we usually say, that in the first one, said God in Semitic means God said in English. And God said in Semitic means it is God who said. I am saying this is not enough because an Arab grammarian would approach said God as a verb and its doer. You see, each of the subjects, you remember at the beginning I was spoken about Peter ate an apple and Peter is big, you know. In Peter, 
8 in Apple. Peter is a doer, fa'il. He's doing an action. In said God, it's the same thing. God is the doer of the action of saying. But in God said in Arabic, in Semitic languages, God is the subject, the noun, actually, this is how we call it, of a nominal phrase. And this is what we call it in spite of the verb said, we still call it a nominal phrase. Now, that is a far cry from the jargon lingo I hear around me and people want to impress me and context and undertext and pretext and foretext. It's not the same thing. What I'm saying is totally different. That's the way things stand. And in this case, they won't fall. That's how they stand. Better than learning Hebrew, we should start by learning Arabic to understand better the Bible written in scriptural Hebrew, not in Hebrew as people assume that there was a language. Again, Arabic is not necessary. It's Arabic grammar that is necessary. It is essential, not only important. And again, what's the text? It's a syntax of sentences. And the sentence is a syntax of words put in a certain order. Stephanie Yazji, Stefaniova, the wife of Father Anthony, who just passed away a few months ago, was my student together with her husband, the way you two with your wives. And she was very close to me. Father Anthony told me that the people who came to our house asked, is this her father? And this is myself, because on the fridge, he wanted to tell me how much she loved me and appreciated me. There is a picture of her with me since seminary time. Well, Stephanie, and she was the top of her class, said to me, Father Paul, when I started my meetings with the Protestants, I realized the importance of what you said once in the classroom. When I ask you, where did Abraham do this? The where is not to tell me whether it was in Shechem or Bethel. The where is which book, assumedly it's Genesis in this case, and which chapter. These are the words of the late Stephanie Azji, Stephanieva, not mine. She got it. Anyway, I'm ready. I have a long list of other examples, but thank you for having opened up this possibility of getting into Tarazi's understanding of the word functionalism when he uses it. Thank you again, and may God bless you. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.